0: Welcome back to Three Gens Theology. We are excited to be with you uh, today and looking forward to sharing uh, about the study of God, theology proper. As we uh, jump into it, we got an introduction done last time, and uh, today we're going we're gonna to jump in and get going. Uh, I wanted to start with, uh, with two things. One is that last time, Cy said uh, that he would have called all of the anthropomorphic statements anthropomorphic, and you used anthropopathic as well. And uh, I wanted to tell Sai you were correct because anthro anthropopathic is is a subset of anthropomorphic, typically. Yes. So anthropoisos isos is that the is that the other one is what he does. And anthropopathic is how he feels. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is what but all they're both about, is anthropomorphic statements. So you were actually correct. Uh, assuming that they were all anthropomorphic and moving on. Minimum champion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but more importantly, uh, we want to encourage you to grow in your understanding of who God is. Uh, not so that you can know more, not so that you can have debate, but so that you can grow in your relationship with him fuller and fuller. And so I wanted to start uh, with reading from Philippians, a verse that I come back to often. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 3 in Philippians, Paul says that I may know him. And then it goes on to talk about the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's desire was to know God better. And so I say this somewhat frequently to our to our church, and I just said it, I think, Sunday, um, that only if you believe that you know God Better than Paul did. <laughs> Can you stop yearning to grow in your knowledge of Him? But uh, all of us, uh, we fall short in that understanding. And as we talk about who God is, we don't get it. We just we don't fully understand it. And so we want to grow in that understanding. So we're looking forward to getting that going today. Um, Doctor Doctor Ruff, why don't you uh, lead us in prayer before you get us going?
1: All right, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to grow one another in our faith. This is uh, a unique way, and yet it's become common, uh, as people have listened to podcasts for years now, uh, to gain knowledge. Yet, as uh, Dan has so well said, it's not just a matter of our gaining knowledge that we might be able to dazzle people around us with what we know. The more important thing is that as we take in knowledge and understanding concerning you, it will allow us to walk wisely in this world and to show you to others around us that your glory might be seen in us. So glorify yourself, we pray today, in all that we say and do. We pray that you'll be pleased with uh, our discussion of these issues concerning you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In today's podcast, we're going to be looking at uh, the language necessary to talk about God, including the language God has chosen to talk about himself. We'll look at the names of God. Uh, but before we do these things, I'd like to start, start the discussion with a couple of questions that will move our minds in the right direction. What do we mean by the word voice? Uh, generally when we use the word the word voice we're referring to the sounds that are produced by the vocal system that any one individual would have but then what do we mean when we say the voice of reason does reason have a voice well we could discuss that and argue that people who speak with reason do so with a voice and thus reason has a voice we could also find an even more troublesome question to deal with and that is what to be what do we mean when we say the voice of God? Uh, if God does not have those vocal apparatus that we have in order to be able to make sounds and to produce a voice if God is not a, equipped with a mouth as we are and those vocal organs What do we mean that God? has a voice. Uh, This is the kind of issue that we have to think about as we're beginning our discussion because all of our language about God is going to be filled with issues that wrap around those. Another question that we might ask is uh, something that actually Shakespeare raised when he was writing Romeo and Juliet. As uh, Juliet is, uh, is suffering from the reality that her family will not accept Romeo because of his family name. She wrote, or she said, "'Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art myself not a Montague." What's Montague? It's neither hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. O be some other name! What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo, were he not called Romeo, would retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. Romeo, doff thy name, and for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. Juliet recognized that, that Romeo had a name that was considered to be unacceptable by her family. And yet, she also realized that Romeo was more than his name. While we could say that God would be more than any name that he has, whatever he is called, are the names God chose for himself important? Are they significant? What do biblical authors mean when they write about God doing something for the sake of his name? These are some things that we need to consider as we're talking about God. The language that we have, biblically speaking, is language that God has given us that will help us to be able to know Him and to be able to describe Him to others. And so let's get on this with this study that will help us to do just that. So I might ask you, Dan, if Si had any other name would he still be Cy? I was going to use him as an example, <laughs> actually,
0: because when Yvonne was pregnant with him and we would tell people that we were going to name him Cy, people gave us the strangest looks like, what kind of name is Cy? Is and so we actually began agreeing with people that it was a family name because it was just too hard to describe anything else. They, they, would, they, they thought we were very strange for naming our son Cy. Um, and some of them would would not C Y but S-I-G-H. <sighs> you know, uh, when they would do it. And we had all we had several people who reacted oddly when mm-hmm. we said our we we're gonna name our son Cy. But as soon as he was born, as soon as he was born, all of that went away. And all of a sudden whatever he is was is the thing Psy si is. So <laughs> right. what's really interesting is it's that way with with God. The the things that we use to describe him, um, the names we use, um, they are immediately associated with him. Mm-hmm. So they help us to understand him, but they don't capture. Because c- we, we could have named Psy si Joe or Ralph or... Rufus, Jack, or Jack, as you Mm -hmm. use uh, for for pizzas, Um, (laughs) but uh, uh, we could have used any name, and he still would have been the same person. Mm -hmm. But the name becomes, in in human sense, the name becomes him. Yes. And so, as we see names for God, they describe who He is. They help us because they describe who He is. But uh, those names become bigger than just the description, because we associate them with the bigger truth of who God is. Right. So I, that was an interesting uh, um, combination of
2: name things. Yes. Um, to, to get off topic for a second, Grandpa, what was your reaction when they told you that I was going <laughs> to be Cy?
1: My reaction? Well, the understanding that I had was that you were being named after Cy Young. Now, of course, Cy that Young's had to do name was Cyrus, and yours is cy well it wasn't Negative. cyrus
0: it was cyclone it was short for cyclone Cy yeah. young. was it yeah his name is um Demetri- denton denton, 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 yeah. denton true denton true, denton, true. Right. okay yeah. so <laughs> cy was short for cyclone but uh <laughs> yeah so what it, it did have to do with cy young but yeah. it but it it uh it was an unknown thing to them and so i, I think sometimes when people um See some of the some of the basic names we're going to see. Mm-hmm. They it so quickly identifies with God that um, that they've taken on a bigger truth. Then, and later, then we're then going the word to, then the words really were. Which yeah, we'll talk about that right later. Later,
1: we're going to actually use an example or two that will help us to understand how the process is actually a filling process. In other words, we have a name that has a certain meaning. But building on that name, we find that more and more of the names, more and more of the explanation helps to define who that name is. And that's important because the name does not describe everything concerning God. But having a name allows us to have a starting place to discuss who God is as God reveals himself and those names take on greater meaning.
0: Okay, so as much as I am not a fan of, I actually like Shakespeare quite a bit, typically I'm not a fan of the poetry assigned to to, uh, normal life, anyway. um, The Rose by any other name is just as sweet, is a great thought for this. I I have to applaud you for using that analogy pun intended, analogy for um, this description because if you tried to describe what a rose smells like, you would be trying to describe something that your, that your smelling sense understands, but the words to use to describe it are hard to put together. Yes, and so what we do in those settings is we say it smells kinda like if you put together this other flower and uh, you know a a a sugary treat and uh, and we start putting all these other things that you that you can talk about together to say what the rose. Smells like.
1: And, and that's, yet, that's a using great, your, your explanation, one of the problems that we face is if we say, well, it smells, smells different than a chrysanthemum. And a chrysanthemum smells sort of like a, and ultimately we find we have never defined what that right. smell we're is. We're still defining it with, <laughs> with other smells. Comparing, yes. right. We're still defining it with other smells that we can't quite
0: gather, but they're things that we would know. Yes, they're things that we would know, so I, that's such a good picture of the way that we the way that the Lord has revealed himself to us in a way that we can understand better who He is, yes, but at the same time, it doesn't quite capture who he is.
1: I used to enjoy in Japan uh cooking shows where they would have these experts who were sitting around the table tasting a particular food. And the Japanese have a very broad palette of uh, description of food. They, it's incredible how many different words they use to describe some kind of taste. And yet ultimately, as you listen to them, you would realize that Practically every word has been used for some other taste because it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. We, we cannot go from another sense and adequately, accurately explain the, in detail what the differences are mm-hmm. between them. But we can compare them. And you're right. right. That's, that's the excitement about how God has given us truth concerning him. Right. So he's given us clear truth
0: understandable truth but um finite truth that falls short of truly defining him <laughs> it right. does truly define him yes it does truly explain him but not completely right and so it, um as we talk about it sometimes people get caught up in either one of those that we can't talk about God like he's a person like he's a man But he did, he talked about himself that way. But then other people try to limit God with um, these explanations, saying that, well, he used this man-like anthropomorphic description. um, That must mean he's just like man, but he's not. He's not just like man. Uh, So it's an interesting um, issue trying to describe God. And as we talked about with Bibiology, uh, he used words that were in the vocabulary of those who were writing and, uh, and also using words that the readers can understand. Mm-hmm. And so these truths, as we see these analogies about God, um, then we can understand them, and they're right, and they're good analogies but they're not complete either. Right. You know, so we have to right. put them together with other analogies to better understand the whole
1: exactly. of who he is. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of analogy because it, it is an important concept. But we did talk a little bit last week with what you two were going about with, with uh, an anthropopathism. Anthropopathy. We, we, need to, uh, yeah. <laughs> we need to clarify what these terms are all about. An anthropomorphism from Greek is from anthropos, which is the word for man, and morphe having to do with the form or the shape or appearance of something. They, they, dis, they ascribe human characteristics to something that is not human. Uh, it, it, the anthropoesis from uh, Greek anthropos and poesis, meaning doing or making, would be a description of something that someone was was doing or some activity that took place. Where anthropopathism has to do with because pathos, pathos, as we know, has to do with the uh, like the affection, the mm-hmm. the empathy, the uh, feelings that are involved in things. Yep. If we were to use these terms, they're part of anthropomorphism, <laughs> sorry, and they do uh, give us the ability to describe something in terms of what is true of us. And so we can speak of the arm of the Lord, mm-hmm. the strong arm of the Lord. We can speak of his eyes going to and fro through the earth, and yet realize the fact that God has used this kind of language that those who have been led to write about God have used this language because it's language that helps us to understand how God is interacting with human beings and yet not make the mistake of this one theologian I read about one time, theologian, who uh, wrote that God actually has a gigantic human body and that that's why he describes all these things this way because Mm -hmm. he has all those parts yeah. Uh, we we don't need to make that mistake. That's not why God is yeah. talking about so it. So that's one
0: here. thing. We, we're going to talk about the anthropomorphic statements, but Numbers twenty three nineteen, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. So uh, he makes a similar statement in 1 Samuel 15. It, in using the anthropomorphic statements, it helps us to understand truths about God, but it is not putting him in a... Elevated man, right. status. Right, he he's God. There's a separation between God and man. Yes, uh, in in nature, um, in in many ways. So uh, these are just descriptions um, to try to help us to understand truths
2: of who He is. So let's ask a let's ask a basic question here. So uh, we know that we, as we look at these anthropomorphisms, we see that we are trying to describe god with things that we understand right but we also see that we are made in god's image right so we've decided we've we've talked about that god doesn't have a body but we do know that we are made like god so why don't we explain one of you explain
1: kind of how that works yeah go ahead and explain fully uh,
0: (laughs) how we're made in god's image we're going to be
1: talking a lot about god's image um the importance of the concept that we are made in God's image. uh, We just simply don't think about or talk about enough. Mm -hmm. But it really has a huge impact on how we understand our relationship to Him. We are reasoning creatures. We are able to do what many of the animals cannot do in that we we can create we can uh we can produce through our uh emotional makeup we can produce responses to things that allow us to in a sense mirror and this is where the anthropopathisms come in we are mirroring in a sense the emotional response that god has to those things that he's made we we recognize what it means when we say that Jesus was moved with compassion as he looked on the city of Jerusalem. But that is an expression of the both the heart and the, the mind of the Lord as he recognized the condition of the people he was trying to, to minister to. That image of God characteristic that every human being possesses uh, whether it is being fully used in the way God intended to begin with which is not only to be uh, to be able to rule over the environment which we don't often do very well or to rule other over other creatures to to have the ability to reason to think through things to create to um, To recognize that those things we all do to a degree, but we don't always do well. And that as a result of the fall, the image is marred, if you will. So we can still make comparisons based upon the language that God has given of the way in which we do things and the way in which God does things. They are still very often going to boil down to an anthropomorphic explanation and by the way, anthropomorphisms are used all the time in our language, aren't they? Yeah.
0: Well, even in the scriptures, they're used for describing um, angels and Satan um, and uh, evil even, e- e- like yep. evil personified. Um, and, so, and trees and clapping and their right, hands. You're right, clapping their hands, right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's not just just used to describe God. It, sure. But all those analogies can be used for uh, helping us to understand or see a a better picture of of, of things. So, mm-hmm. but they these anthropomorphisms are used uh, quite um, abundantly for our understanding of who God is, and, and that's, I think that's why in, that's why we're starting there.
1: That's exactly right. That's right. And I think it's important, Dan, to recognize the fact that one of the things that frequently is used to counter the kind of discussion that we're talking about concerning God is an oversimplistic view of how this kind of language is used. For example, if you are a highfalutin scholar who feels that because it talks you. Don't, about you it, don't
0: have to talk in a different voice.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> that that's, that's who you are. I don't know about highfalutin, but. <laughs> <laughs> that when the uh, thunders are uttering their voices, this is obviously an indication of how simple these people were. No, it's not an issue of simplicity. It's an issue of beauty. It's an issue of poetic genius. If you think about it, the kind of use of language that we're talking about here is not only devised by God Mm -hmm. to make it possible for us to understand, but it's used frequently throughout Scripture to make it possible for things that otherwise could never be understood Mm -hmm. to be brought into some kind of meaningful language. Uh, Just to... It's
0: not anthropomorphic but just to go along that with that idea. During the Exodus, the Lord's presence was with them in a cloud by day and a fire by night, mm-hmm. right? Okay, you could look at that and say these dummies, they couldn't even they couldn't even cons- have concept of the abstract idea of God. And so he had to use such such pathetic uh, physical examples, mm. you know, for these small people. Okay, but what presentation should he use? That nothing, nothing that he would use captures who he is. Mm-hmm. That's true. Right? And in a sense, there is a simplicity, but not just to the uneducated, <laughs> but to all of mankind Yes, because we can't handle what he is, mm-hmm. right? That, that's why in in John, Jesus says, no one has ever seen God. Because we could not handle really seeing him. So it's not a, a simple compared to other uh, intelligent people, but it's all of us are simple in comparison to God. So what description would he use? How could he possibly evidence himself in a way that would fully describe uh, what he's doing, who he is, yeah. those kind of thing? So, yeah. And so I think when you come back to anthropomorphisms – they are simplistic. Um, and yes, it is because we are simple, but not just uneducated people being simple. All of mankind is simple in comparison to who God is. That's right. Um, and uh, it is, how else would he describe? How else could he communicate to us that we could understand the the uh, infinite characteristics of himself? So... Uh, there is a simplicity to it, but not for just us dummies, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but all of mankind really is yep. that way. So, so back to your question of of uh, we're made in His image. There is much we don't understand, I think, about that, which I'm sure we'll talk more fully about. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there are things that are similar on a lower version. Uh, like reason, right? Like, and, like love. Yes. Um, that we do imperfectly mm-hmm. or incompletely. Um, but there are direct relation relationships. So they're not just analogies. They are actually the same trait at a different level. Right.
1: That's right. It's, it's very important for us as we think about the language that we use to recognize how much we do use metaphors mm-hmm. in our language. Uh, a simile we're, we're all familiar with, it's uh, he is like a butterfly, um, always flitting about. That kind of language is, is familiar to us, but we, we don't recognize the degree to which we uh, use metaphors. If I say to Sai, in running this whole operation, cyura you're a rock. What do I mean by that? Am no, I saying that he actually is he a has, physical He rock? has much mass. Yeah, a lot of mass. And <laughs> great paperweight. <That's laughs> a, that's great paperweight. <laughs> no, obviously there is something intended by that that has nothing to do with his physical appearance. Right. It has nothing to do with his ability to think. It has everything to do with his ability to function in the role that he has in making all of this possible. We can depend on him, we can stand on him. Don't take that too literally. (laughs) Just don't don't jump, (laughs) just don't jump, yeah. (laughs) But I think what what that helps us to see is that we are constantly throughout the course of the day comparing one thing with another in Mm -hmm. order to be able to explain things. And that brings up the concept of an analogy. An analogy is always something that we bring up that describes something in terms of something else. And uh, metaphors serve in that position as do similes. But this is the kind of language that we use. And by the way, in regard to our having the image of God, the very fact that we communicate is an illustration of how that image works its way out because Communication is a gift of God. He gave that to us. And he himself communicated everything into existence. So it's a gift that we have that allows us to be able to, not that animals don't have the ability to communicate, they can, but on a much more simple level than what we can do.
0: So one great thing is that these comparisons, these um, anthropomorphisms are used um not just abundantly, but immediately, (laughs) immediately by God. So uh, Genesis chapter one, verse two, God moves. Mm -hmm. In in verse three, he speaks. Right. With what mouth did he speak? (laughs) Now he certainly has the ability to create sound and to create um, language. Um, But when we say that God speaks, Aren't we envisioning a mouth moving? <laughs> right? But what mouth? Uh, verse 4, he sees. Chapter 3, verse 8, he walks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, 8, 21, he smells. And 21, 17, he hears. So in all of these um, actions that he's doing, you would not relate them to a spirit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? A, a, a non-form spirit. Yes. But for us to understand what he's doing, they're described in a way that is matching with how we would m- maybe respond in doing those things.
1: That's true. And it's very it's simple for us to grasp those images. It's much more difficult if we were to think of it from the perspective of as you said, what is God actually doing? He is God. He does what he does in a way that we can't conceive because he is spirit. And so in the process of communicating to us, while there is no movement of a mouth, there is, in fact, operation between God's mind and our minds, between uh, God and the authors of scripture, between uh, God and the The creature, the spirit beings who are around him—all of this is going on. You know, this is this is not a Star Trek description of somebody who comes along, just speaks by his mind. This is far deeper than that, and far broader than that. It's it's interesting, guys. The uh, there is a uh, a concept that was brought up uh, early on in the church that we, because we cannot fully describe God, that in a sense we're atheists. We're atheists because we always say that whatever description somebody makes is not adequate. (laughs) Atheists in the sense that we say, uh, no, that's not God. (laughs) God is like this. And so uh, it's it's a crazy concept, but in a sense, what it helps us to remember is that despite the huge amount of information that god has given us in the scriptures from genesis through revelation despite all that vast wonderful knowledge that he has given to us we've only scratched the surface of truly understanding what Mm -hmm. we will understand when we are in his presence and even then Mm -hmm. it will take all of eternity for us to begin to even grasp some of the things that right now God has not revealed yep, to right, us,
0: right? Yeah. So these uh, descriptions that He uses help help us to associate what His actions associate His actions to something we can understand, yes. and then also associate His His person with parts that we can understand, mm-hmm. uh, and then grow in those understandings to be more. Uh, a more full understanding of of who he is, which is challenging, yeah. at, at our finite <laughs> level. So, um, you had mentioned both anthropopathy and anthropoisis. I thought it was poesis but it, it, I am pretty sure that you are correct. Um, but the physical traits and the physical activities. Uh, are one part of that and then also the emotions Mm -hmm. are another part of that so like in exodus six you have the lord's outstretched arm well his he didn't have a physical arm that defended them against egypt Mm -hmm. that's not what he's saying that his physical arm held off that no but it's a a, just a description of a physical thing that we could understand yes um that accomplished a work that uh we can uh, associate. The size of it is still bigger than anything we would have. Right. Right. Um which goes back to your he's got just a really big human thing yeah. but he's not. But his no. description there is that he's big en- he, he is big enough that if he had an arm he could have just stopped them. Yes. Um, and so that outstretched arm is, is uh, helped, helping us to understand not only um, his, his care, but his power and his ability and those things.
1: God in his tenderness even gives us uh, beautiful illustrations from the animal kingdom. Uh, we are under his wings. right? And we recognize from seeing the way mother shelter, birds right. shelter the baby birds, Yep. that this is what God is communicating to us. He is uh, our shepherd. Right. And we know that he is not really a sheep, neither was the Lord Jesus a sheep, but recognizing that the concept of sheep all the way through scripture, the way in which the shepherd deals with the sheep, the way in which the sheep respond to the shepherd, all of these are illustrative of things that we need to know about how we're related to our God and how our God acts in regard to us.
0: And on a more developed scale, that analogy is fuller because the readers would have understood clearly the relationship between sheep and shepherd. Yes. um, And is uh, a better, even a a fuller understanding than just saying that God has eyes to see or ears to hear. Sure. Um, But all of those help us to understand But then also emotions. Um, you know the the Lord does have love. Perfect love for mm-hmm. us, right? Yes. Um, and so there are truths that are not like. It's he's not something else, and kind of like ours, right? In right. The, in many of the emotions, he actually is experiencing that emotion. Um but on a completely uh, perfect level. Yes. So Exodus 4.14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. It's hard for us to associate anger with God. Um, But because when we have anger, it's typically Mm -hmm. selfish. I know the scriptures say be angry, don't sin, but we have a hard time doing that. (laughs) <laughs> right um, we associate anger with negative all the time uh, but God has a, a a perfect emotion of anger um, God in Exodus 20 calls himself a jealous God yes which is an interesting thing I think that is a, a more difficult uh, pathy to to put together
1: he's God alone whatever we think. That's true. And when we think of the jealousy of God, uh, I think Song of Solomon, the last chapter, helps us to really understand that uh, more fully. But God is jealous in the sense that He wants no one else to be treated as though they were God. And His perfection, His holiness... His uh, justice cannot be duplicated in any other being. None of no other being, no existing thing, is possessed of what God and who God is. And as a result of that, if anyone tries to stand in His place, or if anyone, and this brings us back to the issue of the Lord uh, defending His name. It's basically not a jealousy as we normally have where our emotions are all messed up and we, uh, we feel that we've got to protect somebody else from somebody else. We do want to protect in a righteous and godly way those we are responsible for. But if our jealousy reaches to the place where we control them and we dominate them in order that we might be able to have Whatever we want, the selfishness that's involved in that is never in God's jealousy. Right. It's a different kind of, of wholeness that God wants to maintain that cannot be maintained any time we begin to worship anything other than right. him. Right. So some of the physical uh,
0: comparisons are for us to understand his actions Uh, and what he's doing, Uh, but the emotional comparisons, I think sometimes they're harder to, we can see what it's saying, but it's harder to draw the distinction, I guess, between sometimes. Yeah, Um, And so we have to be careful not to go either way, not to just act like all of the anthropomorphic statements are things that describe a little bit of God that don't really describe him, or we don't go to where they describe everything about him, right? And and right. even the different types of anthropomorphic statements uh, are drawn out differently um, as as it's used as an analogy, as a as a metaphor, as you know.
1: Um, so a perfect example of that, Dan. Before you go on, is is the description that John gives uh, of God as being love. God is love, Love, is the statement that John makes. What we have to do is to, again, recognizing that there's language involved in that, that we can oversimplify. We have to recognize that John is not saying God is a warm, fuzzy feeling this is not at all what John is describing. Mm -hmm. If there is a definition of what love is, if love could be comprehended as being the fullness of everything that love could possibly be if it were perfect and pure, then we would be able to begin to understand what it means that God is love. Mm -hmm. It's far more profound Than any simple concept that we might have of what love is.
0: Right. So that's that actually is a uh, one of those good examples that in all of these anthropomorphic statements there are literal truths there. Normal, Mm -hmm. normal understanding literal truths there, but they they capture a different um, amount of explanation typically they all fall short mm-hmm. all of the physical examples fall short of really gathering the truth it's saying about God right um, even in the exodus 6 with the outstretched arm it's not like God has an arm that's sitting there but it is saying an, a, a literal thing that he protected them yes and so in all of those statements it is giving a a normal literal understanding of some truth about God the truth about God not necessarily the the word used yes. like you saying that Psy si, was a rock you're not actually saying that he's a sedimentary uh you know piece of matter um you're what you were saying what, but there was a truth in what you were saying that mm-hmm. we could count on him that he's you know something Saul. somebody we can we can have Mother, as a foundation yeah. right <laughs> you know um so um so it is that way with the Scripture. Those words have a normal, literal meaning in what the truth they're sharing is. Yes. But we don't also don't want to use them to limit God to only being that. Exactly. Um, and so I think God is love is one of those where people <clears throat> sometimes act like God is love is like uh, A equals B, so B must equal A. Mm-hmm. And um, say love is God. Love is God. Yeah. And, and, that's... and that's not... That's, and, and God isn't an only love. That's right. You know, so um, he, in his perfection he is perfect love, but he is also perfect judgment and uh, many many other traits that we'll get to. Yeah. Uh, so these anthropomorphic statem- anthropomorphic statements help us to understand truths about who God is, what He's done, how He acts, uh, and they are for our benefit, to help us to understand what is being said in that section about how God is, or what He's doing, or even the emotion that He has, um, what He's thinking, but they're just there to help us to understand what's really going on. Right,
2: right. right. We uh, we wanted to start start off with this because we, as we continue to walk through theology proper, we are. We're not going to be able to accurately describe all of who God is, uh, and so that's one thing we want. We wanted to make sure you, the audience, know as we continue through this. We we just got done uh, talking about Scripture and, and how we how we know these things to be true, and uh, and there certainly is questions that come along with that. But we see that as we kind of step into theology proper, the the questions become a little different. Of this is something I know to be true, but I'm having a hard time grappling with. And I, I can't promise that we have done any better grappling with it. Uh, but we want to hear that. We want to hear from you. We want to hear uh, about the the areas of scripture that that you're confused by, that you uh, that you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, we long to to help you. We long to come alongside you and and help you on your walk with Christ. And so, um, those are as you have as you've come up with questions uh, in the past about who God is, or as questions come up as we walk through the different uh, aspects of theology proper. Uh, communicate with us through through comments, or uh, like we said, a, a, a great way to, to get in contact with contact with us is emailing uh, Pastor Dan P D at CrossBridgeIndy.com. Um, Uh, that's that's a great way that we can communicate with you the listener uh and and answer the answer those questions and also generally probably to to grapple with them and say yeah this is this is tough but here's what we've seen uh here's what scripture says here's what uh here's what church fathers have said uh and then we can kind of walk through those things together uh so we're so excited that you're that you've listened uh we hopefully you have gone through uh our our 100s on on scripture and and listen to those and we're excited to continue as we as we go through our 200s on theology proper uh continue to walk through who god is uh and, and why, why we're doing all this, right? I mean, the, all, these, all these pieces of theology build on each other uh, to show us uh, what the Christian life looks like, why, why, this, why this means anything to us as, as humanity, right? Uh, so thank you, guys. Uh, again, leave a like, uh, comment, uh, but we will see you next week as we continue through, through Theology Proper.